6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Alberta's Justice Minister raising a lot of eyebrows after a Facebook post he made recently, and he's not apologizing about it. Now, on Friday, on Facebook, Casey Madhu uh, responded to a comment that accused the government of treating COVID-19 like it's going to kill everyone it comes into contact with by saying, this is what he said, the fact that the majority of people survive the virus is not a reason for the government not to try to prevent deaths. Okay. He went on to say, it's also not a reason to wait until we overwhelm our health care system, then create public panic and see Albertans in field and makeshift hospitals gasping for breath because we have run out of ventilators, manpower, etc. Okay, well, this is where it gets questionable. He goes on to say in that post, my point is that I don't think it will be responsible to simply wait until we have a disaster on our hands. That is what the NDP, the media, and the federal liberals were looking for and want. We simply couldn't allow that to happen. Now, Minister Madhu's press secretary said yesterday the minister won't apologize for stating the obvious. And all of this is happening as the premier, um, you know, has called recently, there's been a bit of a change in tone with the premier when it comes to the pandemic and he has said recently uh, this this tendency to try to politicize the pandemic is regrettable and as i mentioned that's been a bit of a change in tone for him dr melanie thomas is a political scientist at the university of calgary she joins us this afternoon dr thomas welcome to the show thanks for having me all right um so your first thoughts on uh when you read this what what went through your mind dr thomas so i had um like immediately i i have to take exception to the press secretary's characterization that the minister is simply quote stating the obvious <sighs> to me like this is either one of two things either this is a deliberate strategy um to try to get albertans to think that something that is not true is true so that would be disinformation um the federal government has offered us help and we have decided to turn that down and i think if we're if i'm looking at the ndp's position they were asking for more public health restrictions earlier um in line with what some physicians were asking for things along those lines and i don't want to litigate like who's right or who's not but the point is like i also want to say that i've not seen any journalists saying i like i want the health system to fail like that 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 Mm -hmm. isn't that's just not true and so disinformation is one of these things where you want to get people to believe something that's not true um either by misrepresenting the truth or telling an out right lie so it could be that or it could be that the minister genuinely believes this and um is fully engaged like has is basically like gone hook line and sinker down the disinformation hole himself yeah it, it's 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 mind-boggling and head-scratching to be honest uh with you when you say you know that's what the ndp the media and the federal liberals were looking for and want that is that is it's beyond the pale. It's a blatant lie. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just put it uh, put yeah. it right out there. I don't understand why the justice minister, not not you know anyone in particular, but the justice minister as well, would really seem to 
stoke those flames and, and you mentioned you know you know maybe conspiracy maybe uh you know is it intentional inciting i don't understand it especially given the fact over the past couple of weeks dr thomas we have seen the premier taking a bit of a softer stance when it comes to let's say the rhetoric around the pandemic yeah, I mean, but I, I find it interesting that we are referring to the Premier taking a softer stance, which indicates that he wasn't there a couple of weeks ago. And no, so, he wasn't. For me, yeah, so for me, I see this as kind of like. It, I see this as a strategy, like if I'm going to look at this as a particular strategy, it is one that fits in line with uh, a consistent um, plan to stoke polarization. And so this is the idea that if you like us, that means that you can't like them and you have to assume that they are always telling you something that's just not true and you just want to dismiss everything that comes out of their mouths. And so, um, so polarization is one of these things where we noted it in the United States earlier. It's clearly part of what's going on in Canada. I don't mean like extreme positions. What I mean is this idea that um, you're literally in an us versus them camp. And what worries me about this as a political scientist is that um, this makes us see our neighbors as our enemies um, based on like Mm -hmm. just little tidbits of political information. Um, And then also like it erodes trust, it erodes democratic norms. You can see how far it got in the States and still is Mm -hmm. where people are saying an election isn't legitimate unless it produces my preferred outcome. Like Mm -hmm. these are all things where if you pull them out and just look at them in the abstract nobody wants these things nobody likes this about our political context and so while i appreciate that some political actors are walking back from that rhetoric a little bit i my primary concern and i i have been on the record on this like for years saying that using this as a short-term political strategy is something that political actors should not do because it has really corrosive long-term consequences and so it's not lost on me that like the premier can say one thing and be much more moderate in his position. But if you've got a cabinet minister that's pushing this really far, um, that means that the government strategy continues to be one of stoking polarization. It, it makes like it's there's a short-term payoff for keeping people angry certainly but in terms i really do worry about the long-term consequences you know dr thomas and i and i don't want to and i'm not going to point my finger at just one party or or one side because Mm -hmm. we're seeing it across the board aren't we it it, it seems to me like and we've talked about it on this show over the past number of years just the rhetoric and the finger pointing and the politicization of everything It, it it has it has reached such grand heights and and no one is immune from it. So I would say that there's a number of things that no one is immune to in politics. And there is a line between, and it's sometimes a bit hard to see, between okay. wanting to be genuinely persuasive and say, like, what my, like, what one political party is offering is good and what the other options are offering is bad. I think it feels particularly jarring to Albertans because we haven't had, like, more than one party that can credibly compete for government at any one point in time for, like, longer than my lifetime and so like I can understand how it like it feels particularly jarring in this context and I would also say that like like no one party or no one part of the spectrum has a monopoly on their willingness to reach for these tools or the fact that these tools can have a short-term political payoff that said um I I do think it's fair to look and to see, like, to ask whether or not um, people, particularly in government, have a responsibility to think beyond their 
own partisan goals to like the goals of governing all of us as a collective, even the people that they want to say them over there. And so I think that like, when it comes from a minister of the crown, I, I, I think that we need to see them as actors that are distinct from just partisan actors because they are in government, in positions where they're responsible for everyone, um, not just the people who voted for them and not just their base. And so in that sense, um, I don't want to say that this gives opposition members more latitude because I think accessing these tools is problematic no matter who's doing them. But I do think that it's particularly problematic when it's coming from, say, a head of government, a minister of the crown, a public official that, that's supposed to be in one of these bigger roles. Dr. Thomas, do you, do you see this changing at all? Do you see the brakes being pumped on this sort of a rhetoric and in, in this talk moving forward? How do we how do we return to something uh, more respectful? So this was one of my concerns um, right from the outset, because once a lot of this stuff is in motion, it's it's like Pandora's box, and it's really hard to put, put it back in place. And I want to link this to conspiracy theories, because I know some people have mentioned this, and I don't think that the minister is necessarily engaging in conspiratorial thinking, but the connection between them is that uh, folks who are more open to engaging in conspiracy, conspiratorial thinking and, and believing conspiracy theories, that happens in a context where there's low trust, where there's low trust and there's antipathy in politics for another political actor. And so a statement like this is effectively a minister of the crown saying, don't trust the information that's coming from that other political party or from the media. And so when you create that low trust context, uh, and then you also have this kind of like, and I also don't like them. When you you move into a context like COVID-19, where it's a pandemic, it's scary, it's hard to actually get your head around like the realities of of the situation, any kind of context like that, where like there are some really hard truths that you have to acknowledge, that's a context, that combination of those three things, like where a context that's hard, you've got low trust, and you've got this us versus them, and I really dislike them, that's where conspiratorial thinking becomes really ripe. Uh, And you can't just, like, pull out these techniques, like, one moment and then stuff them back the next and expect (laughs) this to work like a switch. Like, it doesn't work that way. And so this is why years ago when we started to see this stuff come up, we're just kind of like, dudes, we need to not do this. Like, you you actually have to, like, hold yourself to a higher standard and, like, not go for those easy, cheap shots because it creates a context. And once that context is in place, it is really hard to undo it. And so uh, the risk of being cynical and depressing um, and, like, inspiring people to be like, no, that can't be it. It's like, I think that we're there. And I think that that's one of the reasons why you see lots of folks who want to say that COVID is a hoax. You see lots to folks wanting to, you know, say terrible things about anybody who works in the news, things along those lines, because like this, the foundation has been laid and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get it back. My goodness. No, no, and that's fine. And, you know, I I think of this past weekend in Calgary, a a reporter had her, had her vehicle tires slashed and a swastika left on her, on her, under a windshield. I mean, come on already. I mean, it's, it, it makes things dangerous as well it really it does yeah. dangerous 
you know? so in that context i i because i am uh dutch and i had my my dad's parents um lived during the war i i will say what the dutch say about this they've got something called the resistance museum and it's it may be a bit of an overextension of this but like the having a swastika there maybe is the connecting point where they're when they looked at this they say you can resist it you can adapt to it or you can like they said collaborate i don't want to say this is collaboration like that would be going too far but you can resist it you can adapt and just kind of roll your eyes at it or you can fully participate in it and so for me what i want to do is to say you know no one like looking back at this in hindsight like fully participating and like pushing this is this part that's probably going to make us like after a couple years past be like you know we shouldn't have done that and so for this i would encourage most folks to figure out like what are the ways that we can do to resist this how do i talk to my friends and family and co-workers in a way that helps with resisting these narratives um how do we avoid adapting to thinking that this is normal because i think in a democracy this stuff isn't um and that we should have more robust norms and say no no that's offside more often things along those lines because and i think we get lulled into this sense of security that um most people are going to be reasonable. I think most people are. Like, most people are reasonable, and so they wouldn't do stuff like slash a journalist tires and, like, mm-hmm. accuse them of being a Nazi, but, like, some folk aren't, right? And so how do we create norms and expectations and, like, um, fair play in such a manner that, like, the people who are inclined to go there actually don't have the space to go there? Dr. Thomas, I just want to cycle back to something before I let you go. You talked about, um, you know, words um, like what were used in that Facebook post and and those Mm -hmm. lies that were used in that Facebook post. And you went on about, you know, how how that language and and how it's being used can lead to long-term political consequences. When you talk about long-term political consequences, are you talking, you know, as well for the politician, for the party, for the political system as a whole? Um, I mean, I, I'm most all of them, but I'm most worried about the yeah. political system. So the yeah. rhetoric that worries me the most coming out of the United States, which I worry about it being easily transferred up here, are people who say, well, the election is fair when my side wins, but the election must be rigged when my side loses. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we lose confidence in a, like a free and fair democratic process, which the American presidential election was in 2020, and like our electoral processes are as well. But if people are like are using their partisan preferences to evaluate whether or not an election is legitimate, we are in trouble for sure. And I think the, I actually don't think that for many politicians, like clearly, I don't think the minister, if he's not going to apologize, it means that the premier isn't going to require him to. So there don't Mm. seem to be any kind of short-term consequences there. Uh, And I think that's maybe one reason why some might feel emboldened. But for me, I, I I really do worry about what this means for like our collective democracy. And it's a concept called loser's consent. And this is one of the things that's unique to democracy where um, people who don't get the result that they want still consent to be governed by that outcome because they know that they get another chance. Um, in four years. So we've got fixed election dates legislation, the next chance is in the spring of 2023, and they say the process is fair, like sometimes you win them, sometimes you lose them, Uh, and I I agree to continue to participate even if the outcome isn't what I wanted. Like when you erode that, you erode democracy, and you go too far on that, and you lose your democracy. Um, So I don't think that, like, I I don't like being pointed in that direction. That's the thing. And I think that, I think that all political actors and all of us have a role to play in making sure that those those democratic norms are robust and strong. 
And Dr. Thomas, you've given us uh, lots to think about this afternoon. I sure appreciate your time on this one. Thank you for joining yeah. me. Thanks for having yeah, me. You betcha. You